Hey everybody, Tyler Smith here. So, uh, as we mentioned excessively in the last episode, uh, this week's episode was recorded uh, over a week ago. So, the information that we say in it, specifically about our donation drive, is out of date. So, we have, since uh, recording it, we have split up the prize packages so that... uh, so that people know what it is they're going for. Um, you can find the information on the website if you click on Donate or if you click on the Donation Drive 2012 button, they'll take you to the same place. But we also wanted to tell you on the episode what it is. So rather than record something and drop it in, we're just doing, we're just, I'm telling you now. So, uh, okay, so as you know, to be entered to win one of these prize packages, you have to donate $5 or more uh, as a one-time donation, or you sign up for a donation subscription for $2 per month. uh, Or, you know, there are several other options for the subscription, but at the minimum, $2, uh, which is the minimum. Uh, And for that, you are entered into uh, into the running to win one of these three prize packages. So, prize package number one. It has a season of your choice of Mike Schmidt's 40-Year-Old Boy podcast. It has the new book, The Comedy Film Nerd's Guide to Movies, which features articles by uh, Graham Elwood, Chris Mancini, Mike Schmidt. I think Jackie Cation is in there, so they're going to contribute that. You get, uh, and this is kind of interesting, um, and there's a, there's a link to the website uh, on our site. Uh, cinephile video, which we have a, a relationship with uh, as a function of our, uh, our video reviews, uh, they are donating a director t-shirt. And basically what it is, is, uh, various, uh, respected directors have had their names put on these t-shirts in the font of a, uh, famous, uh, band probably from the eighties. So, uh, you can go to Cinephile Video and you can look at their store uh, on the website or you can click on the link uh, on the Battleship Pretension website. So you get one of those shirts of your choosing. You get a poster for the new film Compliance signed by Craig Zobel, the director, uh, and then actors Pat Healy and Dreama Walker. You get a DVD copy of Entrance, which I think will be signed, but I'm not 100% on that. Uh, you get the new album from Mike Kaplan, in which uh, it's Mike Kaplan and Micah Sherman, and it's a comedy album called Please Be Seated. So all of that is in prize package number one. Prize package number two, you get a copy of Chris Mancini's book Pacify Me. You get a uh, CD of Robert Buscemi's comedy album Palpable. You get a director shirt uh, from Cinephile Video. You also get a compliance poster signed by Craig Zobel, Dreama Walker, and Pat Healy. You get a Blu-ray copy of The Innkeepers signed by director Ty West and actors Pat Healy and Sarah Paxton. And then you also get Pat Healy's shirt from The Innkeepers. It takes pla- the, the, the action takes place uh, in, a, in an inn, obviously, called The Yankee Peddler. So you get his Yankee Peddler employee t-shirt. So that's in prize package number two. Prize package number three, you get Graham Elwood's new comedy CD, Palm Strike Dance Party. You get a director t-shirt. You get uh, a compliance poster signed once again by the director and two of its stars. You get a, a sort of bootleg DVD. I say bootleg because it's not available anywhere else. Uh, of uh, various comedy sketches of Birds of Prey, 
which is a, a very funny uh, comedy troupe. And then you also get a Blu-ray copy of The Innkeepers signed by Ty West, Pat Healy, and Sarah Paxton. So that is prize package number three. So we're very excited about these prizes. Um, a lot of our guests have been very generous with us. Um, so, uh, And we tried to space it out so that each prize package had something really notable and really exceptional in it. So uh, so that's, that's what you can get if you donate $5 or more as a one-time donation or you sign up for the uh, donation subscription. And then, of course, there is the uh, the special fourth package, where if you donate $100 or more, or you sign up for the $16 a month subscription, you get uh, the opportunity to sit in on a recording with me and David, and then a guest of your choice. So uh, I think that catches you all up. I apologize for taking so much time. Uh, on with the show. Welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? I think you know. I do know, yes. Because we just talked about it for uh, uh, almost a full minute. Yeah. Take then, two. Yeah, this is, t- this is take two. Um, but I'm excited for the donation drive. Not just because... You we know, get money out of it. We, look, you and I aren't seeing a dime of this for our pocketbooks. That is that is true. <laughs> this is all going, you know, back into the show, and, and it's money the show needs, but... Uh, One could but, say it goes back into the show, which means it goes right back to the listeners. Yes, we pass the savings on to you. Yeah. Um, uh, so I am excited for that aspect of it, but I'm also excited on the listeners' behalf. Okay. Because of these prizes. They're pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I wish I had the list in front of me. Again, I am not prepared this week. I don't think I can remember, but uh, um, but there is a list on. Uh, yes, and that's what you should on do. the donate page. Because the thing is, the- we're recording this episode a little bit early, um, uh, more than two weeks or you know, more than a week before it's it's going up. So yeah. there might be more prizes by the time you hear this. Yeah. So what we will suggest you do is go to www.battleshippretension.com and you'll see up in the upper right. There's a, a a button that says Donation Drive 2012. I think I believe it, it says. just says donate because if I if I were to type the whole thing, then it would go on to the next line. Oh, that's, that's I don't horrible. like that at all. Okay, so I think if you click the donate button, um, then you will see not only all the different options for donating, but mm-hmm. the prizes you can win. That's right. But what I really want to tell you real quick is, in case you weren't listening two weeks ago when we announced this, uh, how you qualify for the prizes. Okay. Um. You either donate a uh, one-time donation of $5 or more. Yeah. gets you in the uh, in, in the running for one of possibly three separate prize packages. That's we're right. Thinking. And by um, the time this goes up, we will probably have the prizes, like, solidified. Fa- yeah. Yeah. Because there's only, like, a week left at this point. That's right. Um, uh, so $5 or more, or there's a one-time donation of $5 or more, or if you sign up for a recurring donation mm-hmm. of $2 a month or more, and that'll last for a year. Yes. It doesn't keep going in perpetuity it's right. 12 months two month two bucks a month you don't even feel it you don't even feel it um and you can also obviously donate more than that if you want absolutely uh we we would love it there you know there's with obviously with the one-time donations it's however much you want with the recurring donations it's what it's two dollars a month four dollars a month 
eight dollars a month, ten, or, and then I think oh, I dropped twelve, and then it jump, jumps up to sixteen. Yes, and that brings me to the other thing. Thank you. Uh, this is very fun. We've never done this in donation drives before, and we'll see how it goes. So yeah. far, the response has been pretty good. Been pretty good. Anyone who donates either a one one time donation of a hundred dollars or more, mm-hmm. or signs up for the one year sixteen dollar a month recurring donation, right? They their name goes into a hat, and a wh- special hat, a different hat. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It's one of Tyler's Riddler hats. <laughs> <laughs> the, the would that be a green bowler? Is that what green he wears? Green bowler hat. Yeah, green bowler. Okay. Um, what we'll do is we'll shake it. We'll shake up the green bowler. We'll pull a name out of it. That person gets to uh, come to uh, North Hollywood, or more likely Sherman Oaks. We'll, Sherman we'll, Oaks. We'll, we'll, we will uh, rent out the studio where they do Never Not Funny, so mm. that this person isn't the stranger isn't in Tyler's house. <laughs> um, but you get to come and hang out with us while we do an episode, which is not that much of a pri- prize because we're not that pleasant to be around. You're as, no prize as, pig, Dave. As That's I'm sure our, our guest will tell you in a few minutes. But the exciting part is you you give us a list of say your five favorite guests, mm-hmm. and we'll we'll run down that list and try to find one of your favorite guests right we will to be on the show we'll get whichever one is you know nice enough to actually do this (laughs) yeah so that's the exciting part not hanging out with us but uh, getting to see uh, you know hopefully one of the comedians or actors or directors you know uh, or other critics that you've heard on this show uh and getting to hang out with them because you gave us money now david uh before we before we move on i i wanted to to put this out there uh, so I've done the math, all right? I, I, I looked at what our costs are, we, and they're, okay. they're fairly costly. Uh, bandwidth. That's why they're called that. Yeah, exactly. Um, the word costly came first, strangely enough. <laughs> so, uh, so we pay for bandwidth, and then we pay for various things throughout the year. Um, and then we pay for uh, shipping, uh, DVDs and Blu-rays to our uh, writers throughout yeah, the country. Yeah. Uh, so the the show does cost money. But here's what I was able to figure out: if everybody who subscribed to the show, uh-huh. okay, donated five dollars, if everybody that subscribed to the show donated five dollars, then we'd have a lot of money. I don't know if I want you to say the number. I won't say the number. Okay, I will. I could say the number of years that we could go. Oh, okay. that, as far as bandwidth, so it probably wouldn't be uh, seven years. By the way, if everybody who subscribed donated five dollars, then our bands would be, would be taken care of for seven, for seven years. years. Okay. Now, of Except course, that we're going to continue to grow and use a lot more bandwidth. Yes, and and so how about this? Four years. There you go. One year of donation drive in which everybody that subscribes donates five dollars gets us four years worth of bandwidth. And then our future donation drives will go toward uh, yeah. such things as. Perhaps uh, travel and lodging to film festivals so we yeah. can cover that sort of thing. Absolutely. I've recently started entertaining the idea of going to WonderCon as well as Comic-Con. That sounds like a lot of fun to me. And, uh, and I don't want to have to pay for that. So uh, I will if I have to, but you know. <laughs> so, yeah, that's... So here's what I'll say. Hey, you listening. Yeah, I'm talking to you. Five bucks. All right. All right? Or, if you will, two bucks a month. Yeah. I know you think, well, surely they'll take care of it. I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to you. <laughs> All right? Five bucks or $2 a month. And guess what? You, could, you, you qualify yes. for a great prize and package. And we will appreciate it. Yes. It, Tyler won't just be like, yeah. Like, 
Uh, t- Tyler won't look at your donation and go, yeah, about time. Yeah. <laughs> he, he will appreciate it. Yeah. If they're, if they're like the higher donations, I look at them just like, damn right. <laughs> All right. So that's that out of the way. Mm-hmm. Tyler, I'm told we have a guest. Who told you that? It's it's in the air. Okay. It's yeah. the word on the street. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> those, those acapella guys from <laughs> where in the world is coming San Diego told me about it. So rockapella, I believe, is what they're called, right? I think so. Okay. So, David, you may recall uh, in our Comic-Con uh, wrap-up episode, mm-hmm. I talked about going to something at the, uh, in the park area, in the Warner Brothers area, uh, called the Tournament of Nerds. And I, I stated that that was probably my favorite thing about uh, Comic-Con, aside, of course, from uh, meeting our fans, who uh, are a bunch of cheapskates. Um, that's the role I'm going to play today. Um, but yes, and so, uh, and there were a lot of, uh, comedians and, uh, improvisers that, uh, that I, some I was aware of and some I was not. And, uh, one guy that I knew primarily from seeing, uh, some very amusing videos, I think on the UCB website and that sort of thing, uh, he came up and he represented in the Tournament of Nerds, Dr. Manhattan from Watchmen. And, uh, and I thought he did a really great job and it, and it was worth noting, that I think he is like the reigning champion. Is that correct? Uh, at the time of that debate, I was the reigning okay. champion. I've since been dethroned. Okay. Oh, by by who? Well, we'll, oh, well, we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> stay, stay tuned. Everybody. It's, it's a tragic tale with many <laughs> twists and turns. I assure you. So, uh, so I was like, I got to get that guy on the show. Sure enough, he's here. His name's Alex Berg. Hey guys, how you doing? Not bad. Uh, how are you? Very, I'm feeling very grateful that you sat there and listened to us. Uh... No problem. You've convinced me to donate five bucks. So when I go home, I'm heading to the website. And, I yeah. guess it works. Well, that's yeah. the thing. Listeners can't see this. Need, yeah, you need to go face to face to everyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got to get everyone in your living room. Go, you give me five dollars, and it'll yeah. happen. Yeah, listeners, see, they couldn't see this, but I was staring right at Alex when I said, <laughs> it, "Hey, it was you. like a like an uncomfortably long eye contact sort of a situation." <laughs> now, I, um, I, I want to ask you all sorts of questions about you know where you're from and how you how you got into, into comedy. And stuff, but I want to start with the tournament tournament of nerds. Absolutely. Uh, first, I guess describe what it is, and then describe how you became uh, unseated. So, was it a coup? It wasn't a coup. I, I a, always a bloodless coup. I always blame myself for my defeats. But uh, uh, the tournament of nerds is a uh, comedy debate show where uh, every month uh, at the UCB uh, eight nerds will get together each representing some nerd icon uh and then in basically like a march madness type uh, single elimination bracket they'll debate against each other over who would win in a fight and what constitutes a fight is completely up for debate it's not just like oh well it's going to be a physical fight and these two guys are going to duke it out you know like uh in my very first tournament of nerds uh in my second round i was defending Richard Feynman against Lando Calrissian, and I think I earned major points by saying that Lando Calrissian had to scour the galaxy looking for wives. Feynman found three on Earth, you know? So it's it's completely a define your battle and then define why you would win it sort of a thing, but it's very fun and very silly. To me, the, un, uh, the, the unspoken joke here, or maybe it is spoken, is that it's about who would win in a fight, but theoretically you have the two people there. But you don't have them fight. You no, have no, them no. Talk about what it's, how, yeah, it's, it's an intellectual win. and hypothetical thing, and it's different. It's like eight mile. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah, it's basically like battle rapping only without rapping, and 
geeks, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's super fun, you know, and different people do the show in different ways. Uh, I am uh, very... I, I'm the son of a lawyer and very beholden to the the sanctity of the intellectual debate. Uh-huh. But there's other people who will, like, dress up as the character and debate as that character defending themselves, you know, which is super fun. Uh, and the audiences for Tournament of Nerds are, like, the most responsive, awesome audiences. I mean, like, when you win a round or the entire tournament, I mean, you get just rousing applause and cheering and it is like a huge ego boost it's super 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 fun um yeah yeah this past month i debated uh, on behalf of uh, the terminator uh-huh. uh, specifically the uh, the t800 uh, uh model from mm-hmm. the second film uh and lost to uh cosmo kramer in the second round <laughs> so you know it's it's that sort of a show anything can happen uh so yeah, okay. So that that was how you were you were dethroned. Was uh... I was actually I was at that point I had no title. I I lost my uh, my title most recently to uh, I had earned my title arguing on behalf of uh, Inky Pinky Blinky and Clyde from Pac Man. <laughs> and I'm trying to remember who unseated me. Oh, then the next uh, the next month I was debating on behalf of Crash Bandicoot mm-hmm. and was unseated in the first round by uh, Chester Cheetah. <laughs> so. <laughs> You know, that's that's the way the cookie crumbles, you know, and it's a very fun cookie and it's fun to watch it crumble, but crumble it did. Chester Cheat is a is wily. Well he, here's my thing, man. Here's my thing. <laughs> Here is we go. For okay, so for Chester Cheetah, his like the thing he's known for is saying it ain't easy being cheesy. Mm-hmm. He has a hard time being cheesy. What good is he going to be in a fight? He's like <laughs> some weird, like, you know, 50-year-old stoner who hangs around the high school bumming See, cigarettes, you know? I, I, like, I think it's, I think that's false humility on his part. part. I think it is easy. I should I, I think it does come very easy to I it's, can think of nothing easier than being cheesy, and yet he seems <laughs> to struggle with it, you know? like <laughs> It's not unlike, as I've said on the show before, it's not unlike when Sean Penn... Uh, through his performance and just the sweating of blood is trying to convince us that acting is really hard. Uh-huh. And it's just like, <laughs> right. yes, I, it is hard. It is definitely a craft, but you're not like a soldier in Iraq or anything. <laughs> right. Like no one, you, there's not like a hail of gunfire right. coming down around you. <laughs> you you're going to be all right at yeah, the yeah. end of the day. Yeah, you'll, you'll hit up craft services, grab a granola <laughs> bar, and head back to your trailer. <laughs> so now let me ask you this. Are you assigned the character that uh, that you're going to defend or do you choose it's uh, half and half so i'll send in a list of like three to five characters that i would like to defend and then they will inevitably go like nope you can't defend e coli you can't defend you know like this obscure you know you can't defend ernest rutherford or something like that uh you know and i'll wind up defending the terminator or the pac-man ghosts or you know richard Feynman or benjamin franklin or, or something like that who is your dream uh, i guess defendant uh, who would I love to defend the most? Yeah, that you haven't been able to. Uh, ooh, it's a, it's a t- uh, I, David Attenborough has been submitted many times <laughs> and has been shot down many times. But I, and this makes me sad to say, but I think he probably doesn't have too many years left in him. And I'll uh-huh. bet you all get to do his posthumous defense and what a defense it'll be. So, um, can and we you- will be discussing him a little bit later in the episode. I, I can imagine doing nothing but. Can you <laughs> real quick tell me who would win uh, between Crocodile Dundee and the Ed 209 from RoboCop? Oh, man. Uh, for me, 
I mean, it's got to be RoboCop, right? Like, but it's the Ed 209. It's, it's, Wait, which one's the Ed 209? It's the one that malfunctions and stumbles and can't go down the stairs and oh, it accidentally shoots the, uh, right, right, the junior right. executive. Yeah, for <laughs> right. about eight minutes. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. It's like that. Yeah, okay. Well, in that case, maybe Crocodile Dundee. But, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with where the fight takes place and the parameters of the actual mm-hmm. battle, you know? Like, oh, okay. So if you were to set it up, like, you know, if, if they were battling, for instance, for Linda Kozlowski's heart, mm-hmm. I think that goes to crocodile dundee you know hands down if they were battling for terms of sheer carnage even though it's malfunctioning it's probably the ed 209 you know like right. uh, crazy machine guns are better than a knife are they fighting in a warehouse or are they fighting on the stairs of uh, the eiffel tower yeah or are if they that in some think... swamps somewhere you know exactly. like these are all important qualia that we need to set set in, ma- in place all right I've, i think that's a good uh, uh... Yeah, yeah, it's as diplomatic as an answer as yeah. I can give. So it is. It is an interesting thing because, uh, and it sort of inspired me to try to, uh, well, basically rip off uh, Tournament of Nerds and uh, think like, all right, just straight up like movie characters, but not like the Terminator, like Charles Foster Kane versus Rick Blaine. Now right. I don't pick those just because they rhymed, but uh, <laughs> you know, and have our uh, bloggers debate it. But I was just like, nah, I don't know how I would do that. And I think also, you just put it up there and go, all right, comment section, take it away. I guess, that, oh, I guess that's exactly what the comment section of anything is, is meant for. I think the comment section of any website is a tournament of nerds, whether or not it's, it's advertised yeah. as such. For example, do you prefer uh, episodes where David and Tyler talk a lot of politics or none? By the way, none is winning. Uh, a lot. I don't think that's not on the not on our comments on the website. I'm sorry. I should, on your I should have said personal emails to me. <laughs> oh, personal. oh yeah. Um, uh, I, yeah, I like your idea, Tyler. But I think you should expand it. It should be the entire world of cinema. It should be characters like uh, Indiana Jones versus Pauline Kale. Like, oh man, just take it outside of not just characters, but but critics and, and directors. Well, David, Cecil B. DeMille versus um, Spike Lee. <laughs> Spike Lee. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, like, I, would, I would love ringside seats for that okay, fight. So or Cecil B. DeMille versus Mookie, Spike Lee's character, would right. do the right thing. So how's about this? So, like, we could conceivably do this. The monolith versus you and me. <laughs> no uh, reason like not to. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, so uh, that that was fun. Beyond the tournament, tournament nerds, I want to I want to get to know you a little bit, Alex. Sure, where, sure. Uh, where are you from? Uh, I'm from Connecticut originally. Okay. I, I grew up in a town called Fairfield, which is uh, not far from New York, but far enough that it doesn't feel like it has any culture. Oh, but there aren't are, are there like rich like New York celebs who have houses? Yeah, like Fairfield? Paul Newman used to frequent the coffee shop near my house. Mm-hmm. Uh, Don Imus's house was like a mile and a half down the street, next door to Phil Donahue's place. Like, I, I might have gone to college with a guy who worked at an ice cream store around there because he used to tell me stories about how Paul Newman would come in for ice cream. Yeah, apparently I never met him, but apparently Paul Newman is like su- was super friendly and would just like sit at this coffee shop called P. Gordon's and like you know shoot the shit with the local teenagers who would be there smoking cigarettes. Cigarettes and uh-huh. you know having nothing to do and I don't know man that gives him an A plus in my yeah, book that's awesome like I made the sting <laughs> you know yeah. like that's awesome how about Don Imus he, he a nice guy uh, I never had the pleasure to meet him okay uh, but his house uh, always seemed nice it was like down the street <laughs> from a buddy of mine's house and you know at night we'd go walking around because there's nothing to do uh, mm-hmm. and it would be like yep that's a nice house that's a nice place where that guy lives you know so uh, so how did uh, how did you get into comedy like what was your uh at what age 
I guess I was always just sort of a jackass growing up, uh-huh. you know, and for a while, the only venue that would take me would be whatever elementary school classroom I was in uh, uh-huh. at the time. Um, That's where you could get some stage time? <laughs> yeah, 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 to, to varying degrees of approval from, from varying <laughs> teachers. Um, but then I didn't really get into it, uh, like, seriously until... Um, but were you... Is, is like... Being the class clown and trying to make the teacher laugh, is that like the guy who tries to make the band laugh, like the stand-up comic? Uh, for like, me, it was a little bit like uh, I was able to get away with being such a jackass in class because I was a good student, you know? So it's like I could – I think I had a little bit more leeway than most from teachers to, like, screw around because I'd be screwing around but also, like, getting that spelling test 100%, <laughs> you, know, you know, whatever it is. Um but yeah, it didn't. It didn't always go over well. Not by by no means was it a hundred percent hit ratio. So, uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, did, so did you start doing comedy in New York? Did you move out here? No, uh, I actually I started doing uh, improv and making uh, sketch uh, videos uh, when I was like eleven years old at a performing arts camp in upstate New York called Long Lake Camp for the Arts. Hmm. Um, and I would go there for like six weeks of summer and uh, learned how to act in plays and learned how to do improv there um, and, and, and make make movies and that sort of stuff. Um, and that's really what got me started. And then. Uh, in high school, there wasn't an improv troupe. I didn't have the wherewithal to start one of my own, so I would do like the school plays every fall and spring. And it wasn't until I got to college that I really picked it up again. And even then, I thought I was going to be a professor for most of college. Like I was very convinced I was going to teach either physics or psychology. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, right before my junior year ended, a buddy of mine who'd already graduated moved out to LA. Was like. What are, what are you doing? You hate writing papers. You hate doing work. Like, you're going to be doing that for the rest of your life. Come out to Los Angeles and, and you know, see if you can do something. And, and so that was, you know, many years ago, and I'm, I'm still here now. Cool. And so uh, would you say you are primarily uh, an improviser? How would you uh, classify yourself? Yeah, I think of myself as an improviser because I don't have the patience for stand-up. I respect stand-ups immensely, but I myself cannot sit and hone the same joke over and over and over again. Um, like, I really respect the mindset that can handle that, but I don't have it, <laughs> you know? And sketch comedy, I used to do a little bit, but uh, but it's mostly improv. I do, you know, two or three improv shows a week on average in addition to teaching it and, and just talking about it nonstop. And so I think if I had to define myself, it would be as an improviser. Where, where do you teach? Uh, Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, or the training center, I guess. So let me ask, let me ask this. As a teacher... Sure. What is... Uh Okay, one point that that's free. What is one uh, one improv, improv point that you would teach somebody and that our listeners can can benefit from? Uh, like if they were improvising, like a bit of advice they should take. Sure. Uh, react realistically, no matter how weird the scenario around you is. All I right. think a lot of people think of improv as like, well, we're all wacky and got crazy <laughs> voices, you know, like which is the worst. You know, it's 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 just the worst. Um, but I think that uh, I think that improvisers who uh, are, you know really sort of have their shit together are the ones who. Um, can still be real in a weird situation, and I think audiences respond to that. And uh, you know, and I could get into the audience psychology of it, but I think basically, yeah, respond realistically, and you'll be okay. Man, oh man! Now do I want to get into the audience psychology of it, but we got to move do, on. Do you uh, at, at teaching at the UCB and given the UCB's reputation? Do you find that are most of the people who take classes there 
serious about it? Uh, I think it depends at what level they're taking classes. I think you still get a lot of people in the introductory levels who are like, I don't know, man, like my manager told me I should do this so uh-huh. that at commercials I could say I have improv experience, you know, right. like, um, and a lot of people who are just curious about it and try it out. But I think by the time you get to the end of the core curriculum and certainly by the time you get to advanced study, like, these are people who want to make this their life. They want mm-hmm. to use improv as a vehicle either to further their own ability to write whether that's for screen or tv or or just sketches or they want to use it to enhance their acting ability um but most of the people who come through my classrooms are very very dedicated to their craft cool all right i I keep saying cool i'm gonna yeah cool is a good term i I say i say lay it on i i I just hate when there's like a a, clearly a phrase in my head that for some reason i keep returning to and like i'll listen to it i mean at least it's not like a racial slur or something (laughs) like that you know (laughs) cool is pretty enough there was there was that episode it was uh (laughs) yeah shockingly well received (laughs) but um okay so Oh, uh, I'm sorry, David. I uh, I was about to get into it. Without... I have done most of the talking. I know, but you got to say. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's get into it, shall we? All right. That's my little catchphrase. <laughs> okay. So, okay. That's how everyone knows the episode is starting. That catchphrase is sanctioned. Cool is not. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, but uh, again, um, as I, 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 every once in a while, I, when the catchphrase is called attention to, I make sure to say that I stole it completely uh, from a show that used to be on uh, community radio in St. Louis uh, where I grew up. Every Saturday night, it was called the Wayback Machine, and they played punk garage surf uh, music. And uh, the, at the beginning of the show, one of the two guys, I forget which one, would always say, let's get into it, shall we? And so I just want to make, make it clear that I stole that. Right. It's, it's homage. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. And that's, your, uh, that's the connection to your roots, David. It's very yeah. exciting. And I found recently going back to St. Louis, decided to like, I mean, I'll turn on KDHX and see what shows are still there way way back machine is no more which is too bad it was one of the awesomest shows uh friday night sky's the limit still holding on <laughs> oh man <laughs> that man still on pick it up pick it up pick it up pick it up <laughs> wow. wow that uh, i did not expect you to say that and i didn't expect you to end the <laughs> sentence with still going strong <laughs> yeah yeah so um okay but yes let's uh let's indeed get into it so um so we don't have a uh, particular topic today. It's more just uh, getting to know uh, Alex's uh, taste in film. And uh, I said, like, you know, what are some of your favorite movies and all that sort of thing. And you sent me an email back with, uh, you know, some standard films. Jaws was in there. I just bought it on Blu-ray today. Very excited. Great film. And uh, But the one that, that – it didn't throw me because I enjoy it a great deal. But it's not often – when someone says, oh, uh, off the top of my head, here's some of my favorite movies. And they'll say stuff like Jaws. Disney's Robin Hood oh, man. is not uh, the first place someone's mind will go. Disney's Robin Hood is so amazingly wonderful. Like, I <laughs> cannot... Even just thinking about it makes me happy. I probably haven't seen it in, like, six months. But, like, I've... <laughs> <laughs> I, I probably haven't seen it in close to 20 years. Man, I highly recommend going back and rewatching it. Because that movie is... That and Sword in the Stone were both directed by Wolfgang Reitherman, who mm-hmm. I think was also an art supervisor or something on The Jungle Book. Yes. Um, but uh, it it's from an amazing era of Disney where 
things were still like a little bit dangerous, right? Like not everything was, you know, like soft edged yet. And it wasn't all just about like the musical numbers and that stuff mm-hmm. yet. Uh, and it's just like a really fun adventure movie with one very notably boring part in the middle where they sing a song and, and, you know, Robin Hood made Marion walk under a waterfall and all that stuff. Although, of course, that song was then redeemed by being included in Fantastic Mr. Fox. Oh really? Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. So well, yeah. What, at what point? I don't know. It's they're listening to it on the radio. Oh, that's fun. Uh, the "Watch the Lazy World Go By" song. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. I'm familiar with it. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I love Disney's Robin Hood. Like I've seen that movie so many times. It is. It's an interesting uh, film because I I loved it when I was a kid, and it is not at all unusual for I'm going to say maybe once a month for me to be going about my business, doing whatever, and immediately go into that. That song, the it's whistling. Oh, the dip dee dip dee ba doo doo. Yeah, dee, but I'll whistle it. Cause, yeah, uh, yeah. I can't whistle. I have to suck into whistle, and it just means I'm inhaling. I don't know carcinogens, probably okay, or something. Enough. But <laughs> uh, but yes, that but because he's sort of. I'm not even sure what you'd call what you just did, but he does do that as well. It's like a, for, it's like, is it orga- scatting? it's like organized. It's scatting. yeah. It's like folk scat. Like <laughs> I, th- I think it's literally just like Roger Miller with a guitar going like, I don't know. Here's some syllables. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so like it, it is, it's very much ingrained, uh, in my head. And, uh, but I've seen it. I watch it with my wife probably once a year or so. I yeah. enjoy it quite a bit. It's great. Um, Specifically because, well, not specifically, this is one of the things that I like about it, is it has two very, very unlikely villains, by which I mean voice cast. Like, of course, you know, Prince John is a, an evil guy, even all the more so because he's so childish. Um, and then there's the Sheriff of Nottingham. Now, of course, when you cast the Sheriff of Nottingham, you don't immediately say, well, Pat Buttram is clearly what it needs to be. Right. That guy from all the Westerns with, like, the, I believe uh, Roger Ebert once described his voice as sounding like a, a rusty wagon wheel. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, and then one of my favorite actors, Peter Ustinov, mm-hmm. as, as uh, uh, Prince John. It's an amazing bit of gravitas to throw into a kid's movie. <laughs> yeah. And, and then he manages to take the character make him so childish that he does not seem like a threat. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's actually something that has, as time has gone on, I've, uh, some of my favorite Disney movies have sort of not fallen out of favor with me, but, uh, for example, Peter Pan, which I loved grow, uh, growing up. And I think Hans Conrad as Captain Hook does a good job, but they almost make him too silly. Mm-hmm. And because maybe they didn't want to scare kids or something, and because he's so silly, now it's just like, well, now he doesn't seem like a threat, right? But when you're a kid, it's like, oh, he's got a hook for a hand. That's kind yeah. of dangerous, you know? Yeah. Like, but uh, but yeah, Disney. I, I need to spend some more time with these. I have. It's right on the shelf over there. Dave. I'll, I'll so tell you, man. Disney movies I haven't seen in. There, Disney movies. Uh, I, I mean, I feel like this is kind of a cliche thing to say, but like, pretty much everything from the Lion King back is great. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of decent ones since then. I'll say Emperor's New Groove is an underappreciated gem. I know a number of people who feel that way. I'm not a, I'm not a fan. Man, I, I tell you, it took me like like a while of people being like, no, seriously, dude, just sit down and watch Emperor's New Groove. But that movie like just owns what it is just from the get-go goes like this is just going to be very silly and then just goes for it you know and i i always respect when a movie can be that honest with itself and now you've convinced you've convinced me i want to watch it it, it is on that one 
Uh, I don't actually because I'm not a huge fan of it. But it is genuinely. You know what it is. Uh, list, this will mean more to listeners than to you, Alex. I apologize. Uh, it is the dirty work of Disney movies. Okay, it's, you're referring to the Norm Macdonald yes. films. Well, the the it's a, it's a Bob Saget film. Yes, right, yes. right, right, right. Merely featuring Norm Macdonald. Yeah, Bob Saget is the auteur. <laughs> no, no question. About it. Bob Saget is always the auteur. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, David, as you and I say, Dirty Work is not that good of a movie, but the laughs are there, and so we enjoy it quite a bit. It's one yeah. of our favorites. Um, Emperor's New Groove, I think that you characterize it the best possible way, which is like it, know what it, it knows what it is. And at a time in the, the life of the Disney company, when they put out like Beauty and the Beast, like a best picture nominee, and then they put out, you know, The Lion King, which was Hamlet-esque. And then they had yeah. like Pocahontas and mo- like these very kind of, for lack of a better term, self-serious movies, Hunchback and Notre Dame, which is really great, but very dark. And then Emperor's New Groove, they throw that in there, and it's just like, it's pure silliness. Well, here's the thing with Emperor's New Groove. This is is the urban legend that I'm happy to spread, as it was told to me. So I've got a a high school friend whose aunt, I think, works for Disney. And apparently the story with Emperor's New Groove is that they had written, like, a more traditional Disney movie, you know, where, like, there was the Emperor, and it was, like, really, like, about him coming to terms morally, you know, and it was, like, very kind of serious, and, like, there were a lot of, like, you know, song and dance numbers and that sort of thing, and they turned the script into the Disney heads, and they looked at it and went, like, this movie sucks, you know, they just, they looked at it, so, like, this is totally terrible, you guys have one week to rewrite it, and so, apparently, all the writers just got together and went, like, okay, we got seven days, just, like, let's start doing it, and what came out of that was The Emperor's New Groove, which is so entertaining to me. Um, and so I don't know whether or not that's true. I have no way to verify that, but uh, I like to think that it is. It is not unlike uh, Home on the Range. Did you ever see Home on the Range? No, no, no. Uh, that's more recent. Right? It is more recent. It's probably uh, 2005. That okay. that came out the same year. If it's the movie I'm thinking of, it came out the same year as The Girl Next Door and the first Hellboy movie. Okay. Right? Okay, so that's probably 2004. Right. Okay, yeah. Um, but yeah, and so, uh, so I saw it because... Ashton Kutcher and Mark Lo- Martin Lawrence doing voices. That's uh, that's open season. That's open season. Yeah, okay. Home on the Range has Roseanne and Randy Quaid as yeah. the villain, and uh, others. I'm sure Jennifer Tilly. I think. Um, and this is Di- it's Disney. Yeah. Okay. It was like their, it was like their not. last cell animated movie. Yeah. Right? Up until uh, and then they decided to like the trumpet like oh the princess and the frog right like, our return to this and it's like oh, it's not that good of a movie but uh but yeah home on the range is a silly very strange it's much more chuck jones than it is disney oh really yeah that makes me want to see it it has it has a really manic strange quality to it but it's and it's much more of a uh, of the uh, emperor's new groove tone where it's just like the stakes are so low Right, but, uh, but I, I enjoyed it when I saw it with my nephew. Uh, Chuck Jones uh, just makes me think of some of his uh, lesser known and perhaps underappreciated work uh, that he did adapting the Cat in the Hat and a lot of the Dr. Seuss stories uh, mm-hmm. to animation. And as a as a guy who grew up on Dr. Seuss and holds him in the highest regard, mm-hmm. uh, the, the Chuck Jones cat in the hat is just, like, uh, amazing to me. Like, I think that holds up super, super well. Uh, that's another one I'll go back and rewatch periodically. I don't think I've ever actually seen that one. I, I watched The Grinch, and I watched Horton Hears a Who. Those are good, too. Those are good, too. But the cat in the hat is, like, 
sublime you know okay. it's not you know it's and, and it's not like off the wall like pontiful Pac was or something like that or huber blue highway like it is the story of the cat and hat the big screen adaptation you always hoped for but never thought you would receive now what do you think of uh if you're a dr seuss fan did you see ron howard's the grinch and did you see the mike myers cat in the hat no okay. i saw the trailers for those things and wanted to you know slam my penis in a sliding glass door <laughs> to take my mind off it <laughs> You know, and I think probably a better way, though, right? Mm, I don't know. I don't know. Glad, <laughs> really Glassdoor really does the job. <laughs> um, but uh, I read an interview after uh, I think after the Cat in the Hat came out. I can't remember which one of them came out first, but whichever was the latter one uh, with uh, Doctor Seuss's either uh, widow or daughter saying like, "Nope, that's it. <laughs> like they <laughs> they they messed it up too bad. We're not doing any more of those." Um, which made me happy because I think the animated ones are really spot on to the tone of the books, and those did not yeah. seem that way. I I remember when, when uh, I will admit that Ron Howard's uh, Doctor Grinch when it first came out, I defended it. Doctor Grinch, Doctor Grinch? Grinch. Sorry, <laughs> you're a mean one, Doctor Grinch. Ron Howard's Doctor Grinch, <laughs> yeah. Doctor Seuss. Ugh, how the Grinch stole Christmas. Um, I defended it when it first came out, and I uh, apologized to anyone who knew me. I don't know, 12 you years know, ago or whatever. I think it's one of those things where, like, on paper, it makes sense. Like, if you said to me, hey, we're going to make The Grinch into a live-action movie, and we're going to get Jim Carrey to play The yeah. Grinch, I'd be like, oh, yeah, let's do that. You know, like, I, that that makes sense to me, but they just don't work for whatever reason. Well, I think the thing that bothers me more is not The Grinch character, but the the, the Who's or the yeah. who I mean, it, it just seemed kind of... I mean, what, what, what Whoville was supposed to be from Dr. Seuss's point of view, is the opposite of what it is in the movie, where uh, it, it, in the movie they sort of represent everything that's, like, shallow and, and, and crass and vulgar. About right, but in the books they're, like, the pure ones yeah. who, who enjoy yeah. Christmas not for the gifts but just for the joy of Christmas, you yeah. know? Like. Yeah, yeah, and they, they turn the Grinch into a better person mm-hmm. or a better Grinch or whatever he is. Yeah. And, like, uh, they're almost... Like the bad guys, uh, they're not quite the bad guys, but you know what I'm saying. Like in in, in Ron How- Howard's version, I almost said Doctor Howard. Doctor <laughs> Howard. Uh, Everyone gets doctorates tonight. <laughs> <laughs> in, in Ron Howard's version, like they're they're not. Yeah, they they don't serve that symbolic uh, purpose. Yeah, yeah. That that is probably my my biggest uh, problem with the film. And and I saw it with you. I think we saw. Did we see like a weird like a midnight screening or something of it? Uh, that in, is uh, devotion. Uh, I think I, I had know. a friend who worked at the movie theater. He's like, "Hey, you want to go see this?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'll show it. sure, all right." Yeah, maybe. And uh, you and I went and saw it. And uh, and I, I, I honestly, I didn't even remember that I saw it with you. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, that's all right. I'm pretty forgettable. Um, but uh, unless I'm talking politics, well, I'm surprised that we. If if I went with you, I'm surprised we got there on time. Because that was a that was a when we when we lived in Springfield, Missouri, and you were the one with the car. A recurring problem was your mm-hmm. lack of punctuality making us miss the movie we were going to go see. That's true. And yes, we did not see Shadow of the Vampire because I was late and instead saw the terrible 15 minutes, which you kind of like, right? No, I hated it. Oh, okay. I All hated right. it. Yeah, you got really mad at me afterwards. <laughs> yeah. but, um, I later saw Shadow of the Vampire in true freshman year college mode on acid. Nice. Oh, good for you. Well played. Right. I did the same thing with... Uh, what was the the first terrible Matrix sequel? Is that Matrix Reloaded or Matrix Revolution? Oh, see, I defend uh, I, I, I defend Reloaded, but yes, you defend that movie. Yes. 
It's no not as good way. as the first one, but yes, I, I no, I, I, I like it. Oh, I don't man. like Revolutions, but oh, I still like God. Reloaded. I those two movies were so bad that I went back and tried to rewatch the first one after I'd seen Revolutions to be like, hey, I once loved this franchise. I got to get the taste of these terrible sequels out of my mouth, and. What and I don't remember what it was anymore. I've, I've forced myself to just forget everything I learned from those movies. But they recontextualized the first film and made it a crappy film, which was mm. a huge bummer for me. That yeah. having been said, I loved the first one, and I, th- I think it probably still holds up. But I haven't been able to go back and rewatch it because the sequel. I, I watch the first one fairly often. I, I like it a lot, I, and I, yeah, I don't feel the urge to revisit Reloaded. Uh, very often, but I do think it has a worse reputation than it deserves. It, I think it had some cool ideas, like, because Reloaded was the one where they set up the thing that, like, werewolves and ghosts were, like, glitches in the program and stuff like that, right? Like, that was ghosts. that whole thing. Are there werewolves? I thought there were werewolves. In, or maybe there were... There's ghosts. There might have been werewolves in the video game that was released oh, between... Because right. that was part of the other thing, is that between the Matrix and the sequel, there was a video game that you were supposed to play to get you from from point A to point B, and also there was the Animatrix, which also helped yeah. flesh things out. And both the video game and the Animatrix sucked balls. But one of those, one of those, I think, set up that werewolves were also another kind of glitch or a security feature okay. or something like that. All the cutscenes from the video games are on the ten disc DVD set that I have. Man. Whoa. <laughs> that is... I did not know you had that. Yeah, uh, no, I was with you when I bought it. Again, now you forgot something. I have. But you know what I didn't forget <laughs> is uh, the fact that I saw Matrix Reloaded at, at, at like a free screening at school uh, with uh, with Jen. Um, and then... Yeah, at film school. Yeah. At film school, yeah. And then you and I uh, had a, a friend in from out of town, and we all wanted to go see Finding Nemo. And, uh, and then it was sold out. And so it's like, well, what are we going to do now? Oh, well, yeah, we yeah, could see X-Men 2 or Matrix Reloaded. Uh, I was outvoted, and we went and saw Matrix Reloaded. At that oh. point, you had already seen X2. I'd seen both. I had seen only Matrix Reloaded. But yeah. Mark was the guest. Yeah, he I know. He got to choose. And he chose poorly. No, yeah. In yeah, retrospect, he chose poorly. In, yeah. yeah, in retrospect, X2 definitely X-Men is X-Men 2 choice. is a great superhero movie. It's, yeah, top three it's, superhero it's movies. Ve- it's probably. so good. It's so, so, so well done. Uh, which is part of why X-Men 3 was such a utter raging disappointment. I skipped it because I... Man, you did the right thing. Yeah, you I did, le- you learned did, my lesson. Tell you what, man, you did the right thing. I'll, I'll stand by X-Men First Class. I thought First Class was pretty fun. I, I thought the Magneto storyline in x-men first class was great and then it was like oh well we this isn't enough for a whole movie so let's throw in this like weird like sub like john hughes version of x-men with these like, <laughs> right, with, like the young kids that, <laughs> yeah the that weird breakfast work. club at the x mansion <laughs> yeah that yeah. did not work for me yeah i don't think i don't think it's by any means a perfect movie but i think it it goes a long way to repairing the damage to the franchise that was wrought by x3 and uh wolverine which was also a piece of garbage i skipped that one too Gro- yeah man. growing up uh if i was a fan of any superhero it was wolverine and the and the x-men in general but wolverine specifically and so when I, in 2000, when the X-Men movie was going to come out, I was super excited. And then I saw it and I was like, that was pretty good. That's, it's not terrible. At the time, mm-hmm. we, didn't have, we didn't have Spider-Man or Spider-Man 2 to sort of set the standard for what a superhero movie was. Which, so. I'll, I'll say this, and this may be a controversial point of view. I actually don't like the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. Hmm. Oh, I, I, mean, I, I think the first one is 
is decent, not as good as a lot of people think it is, but I think I mentioned my top three superhero movies. Spider-Man 2 is, would, be, would be in my I, top I really three. love Alfred Molina in Spider-Man 2. I think he's great, but I've, I just I never thought Tobey Maguire was any good as hmm. Peter Parker or Spider-Man, and I don't really like Kirsten Dunst. Um, I, I, uh, the Virgin Suicides ha- had such an effect on me when I was in my senior year of mm-hmm. high school that I understand why people have a problem with Kirsten Dunst, but I just, I will always... Right, she'll always her. have a special place yes. in your heart, yeah. I respect that. I respect that. Um, uh, was, oh, well, yeah, you oh. were saying about your favorite superhero when well, you were a kid. Yeah. And so I saw, so I was super excited for the first X-Men and then I saw X-Men 2 and, and was blown away. I thought it was wonderful. Yeah. And then against my better judgment, because by 2006, I am now responsible for my own film going actions. <laughs> yeah, there's a and certain knew, age at which all of a sudden, like, no, 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 you made a choice. You're not a kid anymore. Yeah. You can't just write that off. Yeah, it's like, you know that Brett Ratner's behind this. <laughs> right. You right. know that. You've spoken against him. This is on you if you go to see it. Right. I was like, it's Wolverine, though, and the X-Men. I gotta go. And so I went and saw it, and uh, there were certain scenes that I thought were okay, but by and large it was uh, ridiculous. And I remember writing re- like this really long blog back on MySpace uh, about the the tone of that movie can be, and how wrong it is, can be encapsulated by uh, how the character of Juggernaut was treated. Oh man, yeah. Like Vinnie Jones, not even the worst casting. Uh, no, choice I thought he was okay casting. It was okay. just terribly done. Yeah, and I understand they can't. You know, if you're going to have a big ensemble of villains, you can't develop Juggernaut the way he should be in the mm-hmm. in the comic books and stuff. I get that, but then there's that one scene where he uh, he says, "Don't you know who I am? I'm the Juggernaut, bitch." And here's the thing: my first thought, because I was unaware of the internet thing. Oh, you didn't know about the meme? I didn't. Oh, Not okay. at the time. So in the moment, I was just like, I was like, there we, like, I liked it initially because I, I was like, <laughs> right. there's the arrogance that I know they fooled from Juggernaut. You. There's the, there's the cockiness that, that, that a Kane Marco can, can put out. Right. There. Then I became aware of the internet thing and, I, and immediately I flipped because immediately I saw, I could ima- I could picture Brett Ratner laughing his, douchey frat boy ass off his stupid he, fat head his stupid fat <laughs> right. just laughing and laughing at that meme and then saying and being like hey dude and you would of course say dude hey dude what if we put that in the movie yeah and then just a just a whole night of high fives i'll, I'll say <laughs> this for for x-men 3 i think it's a garbage movie i think it's yeah. a real garbage movie but I think that casting kelsey Grammer as the beast is inspired it was I, great. I think that was great and I I think that if you can somehow forget the rest of the movie and just remember that at one point Kelsey Grammer was the beast. Yeah. <laughs> that's something that's something that you can feel warm about at night. That's like a good warm fuzzy feeling. It was it was like you said very inspired casting and uh and I think they Oh shoot. And I completely forgot like Spoil yeah, six years old. Okay. Yeah, I think it's okay Whatever. to spoil okay, X Men yeah. three. <laughs> they ki- like they kill Xavier. Yeah, they kill oh, Cyclops, and and the way they kill I him and then that. and then never bring him back. It's just like congratulations, Brian Singer didn't never used Cyclops well, and then you've 
managed to put the nice cherry on top by killing him within the first 15 minutes. Wow. Also, didn't they kill him off screen or something off like screen. that? Yeah, like it wasn't even like a triumphant death. Like, yeah. I, I'm not a huge Cyclops fan, but like, that he guy was a, play. Yeah, he's a main figure in those movies. You can't just be like, eh, he dies off screen. You know, yeah. like, that's no good. It almost feels like a little screw you to James, James Marsden, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For being in, for opting to be in Superman Returns that same year in a role that's not as at all as interesting as Cyclops. I don't know why he made that choice. But anyway, um, and so, but yeah, they kill off Xavier, they kill off Cyclops, and then they have the whole thing about the cure, and then I do like the... <laughs> the band? The band, the I haven't cure. seen the band. The band, the cure, is, is the main villain in yeah, X-Men 3. Yeah, that was a, he just, his mutant ability was too... It's just Rob Thomas just <laughs> singing Boys Don't Cry over and over sorry, again. Robert Smith. Robert, Robert Smith, sorry, sorry. Oh, yeah, my, my mistake. That's a much more dastardly villain. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's much, a much smoother villain, if <laughs> yeah, you will. Yeah. Although you could, I could see, uh, I could see a Brett Ratner casting a Rob Thomas. But, um, but I like the little moment where uh, they finally, the X-Men finally work as a team against Magneto, and then uh, Beast jams the, the, the needle with the mutant cure into Magneto, so suddenly he's not a mutant anymore. And then at the very last thing, you see him sitting in the park playing chess with like metal pieces, and he's like holding his hand out and just concentrating really hard. And you see the piece jiggle just a little bit, and then smash cut to directed by Brett Ratner. And it's one of those things like, oh, smash cut! Oh! <laughs> right. Awesome! Wait a minute. Hang on. The mutant cure doesn't work. You've just wasted two hours of my <laughs> right. Of my yeah. Life. So the whole point of the movie is that there is no point to the movie. No point at all. Yeah. Ugh. I'm sorry for going so long on that. But uh, no, that I, was it's been a long time. Since I, I, I learned a lot about X Men Last Stand. That I, I didn't. Know. I got in fights with people the summer that X Men Last Stand came out because that was the same summer that Spider Man Three came out, and I would get in, like really it was the summer before. Yeah, was it the summer is. before? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think 2006. Spider Man's 2007. Oh, really? Because we would get in, in huge debates over which was a worse movie <laughs> and which one did the most damage to its respective franchise. And my point. was was always that Spider-Man 3 was terrible, but if you needed to, you could bounce back from that. X-Men The Last Stand was so egregiously awful that the... I mean, of course they have to do first class. They have to go back in time 30 fucking years in order to make the franchise work again because of how bad X-Men Last Stand was. Yeah, they killed off Xavier. They added the whole thing. Oh. Ah, oh, it's all coming back. Yeah, I know, it's man. It's all flooding. Ba- it's like the it's whole, like I'm having like, a bad trip. I'm just like, oh god, it won't stop. <laughs> but just like, not unlike. Okay, it's it is unlike this, but whatever. Where, um, like with Phantom Menace, they add the whole Metaclorians thing to oh. the force. Something that had never been previously discussed, and incidentally, in Attack of the Clones and then uh, Revenge of the Sith, was not mentioned again. No. The whole thing about the different levels of mutant powers in uh, The Last Stand, it's like, oh, I'm a level this because I have a certain type of power. I can control people's minds as opposed to this guy who can stick spines out of his skin like a porcupine. Just like, so this person is a, is a higher level. And it's just like, what is this, like a role-playing game? <laughs> right, right, right. We've, got, we've, gotten no ins- we've gotten like nothing about this in the first two films, but like... I, and I don't know why they did that or why they felt the need to, to verbalize it. Also, it's like that's that's a bit of justification slash exposition that no one gives a shit about. You know, like it's not like you 
explained how the mutation started and why it's it's running rampant throughout the human race now like that would maybe i wouldn't care but like that would maybe be interesting this was just like a hey some mutants are stronger than others you know like and and, and <laughs> expecting everyone to go like oh they're right like oh wow what a mind-blowing thing and it's like it's not fucking mind-blowing i could have told you from the get-go that some mutants are stronger than others because some people are stronger than others you know <laughs> and also it's it's something that was put out, uh, like, I remember in the comic book, there was a character named Cypher. His mutant powers was the ability to learn other languages almost immediately. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty amazing power, but in battle, of course, that's not going to right, help sure. you very much. And that was a big that was a big aspect of the character, is he felt like he, he was part of the X-Men, but what, what could he really do? Right. And, uh, and he wound up, by the way, getting killed... Uh, he, he, it's not like he charged into battle or anything, but I think he wound up being like collateral damage, and it was viewed as a very tragic thing that this guy who was constantly doubting his powers uh, was now, you know, uh, sort of an innocent and is now right. was now killed. And so, like, there's a way to even explore that that some people have powers that maybe aren't that useful in a battle. Uh, I'll tell you what's phenomenal if you've not played it is the uh marvel role-playing game uh from like 1986 or like 1987 (laughs) or something like that i haven't it is wonderful and there's so many characters you can choose from who have zero utility in battle but the way the game is structured is like you can still get like experience and stuff just from like making plans with friends and you know like <laughs> like remembering someone's birthday <laughs> you know like and these are all like detailed in the rule books which which are written as if Spider-Man and the thing are explaining how the battle system works to you and stuff and it's super fun I, I play the I amazing. play the beast in our in our Marvel RPG group so. so it sounds to me like you enjoy the beast quite a bit you've mentioned Kelsey Grammer as the Beast. You played as the Beast. What is it about the Beast that you like? He's uh, he's awesome, man. He's super smart, right? Mm-hmm. Like that, and that's not even his mutant ability. Like it would be enough to just be as smart as the Beast. That would be awesome. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, he can like hang by his feet from ceilings and do all <laughs> kinds of cool tumbling tricks. Like that's awesome. That's so. He's got brains and brawn. You know, Does the Beast. Because uh, um, I don't, I don't read the comics. You guys clearly know them better. Does the Beast ever have a girlfriend or boyfriend? Uh, I don't know. I, I feel like that would be the one thing that would keep me from wanting to be the beast. Is be tough to have a romantic relationship. Cause man, people, I people say really turned off by who that. needs women when you've got literature and tumbling ability. <laughs> <laughs> keep yourself entertained on many a weekend night. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> the uh, I, I mentioned that I. Uh, I'm sorry, were you going to... I was going to ask uh, what you thought of, uh, in X-Men uh, First Class, what you thought of the the way the Beast was uh, treated. Uh, I thought he was okay. Uh, they added, like, that he had, like, super running speed or something, which I thought was weird. And he had weird. big crazy feet. Yeah. yeah, like, I don't mind the big crazy feet. Um, but I thought he was okay. I kind of liked that he was... I like it any time any character shoots themselves in the foot. You know, like, I like any time a character tries to improve their lot in life and in mm-hmm. so doing makes it worse. Like, that's, yeah. always, that's always compelling to me. I thought they did a good job of that. I don't think the, the character design was as good as it had been in X-Men Last Stand. And yeah. I'm, I, I, should, I should confess I'm partially biased. My, the first apartment I lived in in L.A., one of the guys in the building, one of my neighbors who I wound up becoming pretty good friends with, uh, did creature effects and mm-hmm. built the beast for X-Men Last Stand. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And and when I moved out to L.A., he was working on the Fantastic Four movie and invited me to come out to his shop and just, like, 
play with stuff and so i got to wear like the thing's hands and like play with those and he showed me like a bunch of old like animatronic stuff that was left over from hellboy like various oh. tentacles you could move around and stuff um but so it might be out of my my deference to him and, and what i think is his immense talent but i think just the beast didn't look as good yeah, they went a different direction with his look. They made him much more like feline and just straight up animalistic. Yeah, I'm n- I've never been a big fan of Cat Beast. I'm I'm a much bigger fan of like 1830s sea captain hairdo beast. <laughs> you know, that's like it's an, an interesting way of phrasing it, right? But like yeah, 1830s, you know, like yeah, yeah, the, he's like a whaler. You know, the one so, thing that I didn't that I and maybe it's not the one thing, but there's something I didn't like. There's a uh, like the. With with the movies, they've done a, a very good job, I think, of of hang it, having it be like a night of updating the the civil rights aspect. Like X Men came about in the '60s, uh, you know, when there was you know uh, racial civil rights and stuff, and then now there's regarding like gay rights and all that. And they've done a good job with the modern X Men movies of having it be a nice parallel there. But every once in a while, they'll put a they'll put a big old stamp on it and so the beast says like you didn't ask so i didn't tell it's like ah right all right it's fine it's like, i got okay, it before we you it. say yeah. it right before you said that uh, you know what's interesting is the debate over whether or not mutants are people recently came to congress uh in real life because apparently uh if you make toys and your toy is a human it's categorized as a doll and is subject to a different import tax than if your toy is categorized as a monster. And so the X-Men, a lot of these characters who are mutants, uh, like, you know, I think Marvel wanted to categorize them as dolls so they could pay less import tax on them. And the government was saying, no, 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 they're not, they're not humans, they're monsters. And so the debate of whether or not, like, <laughs> mutants are humans actually made it to Congress, like, a year ago. And it was, like, a big deal. And they finally decided that the ones that look human are human and the ones that are more grotesque are monsters and, and, they, and they tax them accordingly now. Uh, but I love wow. that that actually went to congress recently like since the films have come out okay so yeah I, you guys are talking about the x-men i'm sure you had a lot of fun and i kind of had to sit out because i don't <laughs> yeah. know anything about the x-men oh yeah hey and, david welcome back man how you doing <laughs> here's the reason why when i was a kid oh this will tell you something about who I, where i was in the social strata in like middle school i wished i was as cool as the kids who were into the x-men oh wow <laughs> um i and so I, I actually like joined the comic book club and tried and I just like, I, I, I get it now at that age. I just thought costumes and superpowers, I couldn't get it. It seems silly. I, to I me. also, I still kind of think that. Like my favorite comic books are are by and large not superhero books. You know, like I tend to like the ones that are more, not realistic is not the right word, but like I read fables, which I think is really great. Uh-huh. And that's like all the fairy tale characters get together and live in New York. You know, like yeah. and you know, I, I like reading stuff like that. because also with the superhero stuff i feel like at this point in the marvel universe there is such a an ancient continuity that you need to be aware of to kind of appreciate what's going on it's very hard to jump into and i think the ultimate series of books uh makes that easier Mm -hmm. but it's just it's very daunting it's just very daunting to be like i guess i'll start reading fantastic four or x-men like i don't know what book to pick up or where to start but that's why in middle school i liked the punisher because i kind of i kind of figured okay i could theoretically grow up to be the punisher right i could buy a gun yeah (laughs) you know i could get a a t-shirt with a skull on it i can make that drive around a giant van filled with guns and be a psychopath (laughs) yeah i could see myself going down that path (laughs) 
<laughs> and that was why right. it appealed to me. But then still, like, okay, you know, like things where, you know, Daredevil, whoever would show up in, in Punisher comics, and it would like take me out of it. Like, right. no, this guy's supposed to be in some sort of version of reality, and now here's a. Yeah, now here's a guy who has superpowers and is running around. It's yeah, very although strange. Daredevil doesn't actually have superpowers, right? He has super senses. Well, yeah, he has but super it, senses. But he's he, blind. he got them in a, the way that is theoretically realistic. I mean, it's an exaggeration of real, yeah. realism, but he doesn't have magical powers. You no, know, he doesn't have magical powers. He's not, he's not powers. a mutant either. He's no, he was hit by a radioactive barrel of some nonsense, and I think that blinded him, but then also like got okay. his other senses super heightened. Okay. Yeah. I was never into Daredevil. There are people that say that he is their favorite. I recently, uh, a friend of mine recently bought me the first trade of a Daredevil book uh, uh, as a gift, um, a recent one that Mark Wade is writing. And uh, I've been the same way. I never really got into Daredevil. But the at least the first trade of the new Mark Wade one is really great. It's just like it's super fun. It feels a little bit dangerous. There's also a, a fair amount of lawyering, which is just kind of funny, you know. Like he keeps his day job, you know. Like uh, so, it's cool. But yeah, he's never been a superhero who I've I've been super familiar with. The, um, I don't know how you feel about uh, Garth Ennis. Uh, I go back and forth on that guy. I don't know. If you, what he books did, is he written? He did, well, Preacher is probably his. Oh most cool, yeah, I tried reading I Preacher. I never like. got into it. But he did. Uh, he did a, 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 a run maybe ten years ago of of the Punisher that I read, and it was actually the storyline was uh, borrowed from heavily heavily for the Thomas Jane Punisher film. Oh really? Where the Punisher is uh, essentially living in this sort of slum like tenement type building, and he has these neighbors who he ends up sort of sort of making a connection with and i think in the movie it wasn't rebecca romaine and maybe ben foster yeah and john panette and john panette yeah uh and so that that whole storyline was kind of based on the the garth ennis thing but the that that particular garth ennis one had daredevil in it for at, at one point that i thought uh was really cool where it was it was uh uh, maybe it goes back to the lawyering thing because it was theoretically it was sort of Dare, Dare, Daredevil versus Punisher, but not in the way that they fought. But where Daredevil tried to convince him that killing people is wrong. Yeah, uh, and uh, it was it was really interesting. And yeah, then it's kind of cool. Punisher ended up de- decommission him. Uh, um, he like set up this whole like booby trap thing where Daredevil would accidentally get a gun fired right next to his ear, oh. so he couldn't hear anything for like the next ten minutes, and Punisher was able to get away. It's pretty cool. That sounds awesome. So yeah, yeah. Garth Ennis is capable of some cool stuff. But That's then he also did Preacher, which I don't like. I thought you liked Preacher. Didn't, weren't you reading Preacher? We lived, yeah. yeah. I liked it 10, 12 years ago. All right, fair enough. I, I've grown up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. That's a fair defense. All right, so we've been going for a while, and we've been talking about very nerdy things, which is very exciting. I like that that's how I can characterize you in the description of the show. <laughs> yeah, but, um, yeah I'm, a, I'm a nerd. True blue. But... Uh, in the in the emails that we exchanged, along with uh, Robin Hood and uh, Disney's Robin Hood, not the Ridley Scott film that is totally forgettable. Man, I went and saw that Ridley Scott one because I love Robin Hood so much that I felt like I would be cheating myself if I didn't see it. And it was just 45 minutes into it was like, oh, God, I got another two hours of this and yeah. it's not going anywhere. <laughs> it is like it's a movie that just it barely exists. Like, yeah. it's there and then it's and then it's over and you don't feel like you've seen anything. It's not even bad enough to, like, have fun making fun of. It's just like kind of a bummer that it wasn't any fun at all. Like, no. Yeah. And the thing about Robin Hood, maybe not so much. Ah. Eh, 
I was going to say maybe not so much Prince of Thieves, but even but Alan Rickman is fun to watch in that. I watched. When was the last time you saw Prince of Thieves? It's been a while. Man, it is a terrible movie. Yeah, <laughs> it is. I saw it recent enough that I, I saw it as an adult, and I was just like, "Oh, this is not." Yeah, funny. I watched it. Uh, I, it was the closing act of a secret santa party that i was at uh a year ago and it was like you know a bunch of us had been like drinking and getting high all night and so i was like let's put on a movie and we found robin and prince these like oh this will be fun we all love this when we were 12 you know or whatever and it's it is so it's just so bad it's so 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 bad and it goes on for so long but it is to watch in that scenario with a bunch of like drunken improvisers at two in the morning, great, fantastic movie going experience. So at least a success on that level. But uh, did, did you watch the very short? I don't know, short lived, but uh, the BBC Robin Hood series? No, from like five years ago. I remember seeing uh, ads uh, for it. Yeah, I I watched the first episode and uh, I did not. It was just way too. Robin Hood was way too like like winking and wisecracking and I, and I know there are versions I guess of him that are that make up you know allow for that but it just it seemed to have a very sort of uncomfortably modern sensibility and not in a good way yeah yeah you don't there's you can have him be like fun and enjoying himself but uh, you don't have to be like anachronistic about it you know like yeah. you watch yeah, that yeah. that Errol Flynn Robin Hood and that is amazing like I love it that's, that's a great that's, movie that's a is, really really great movie that is a it's a film that I had heard so much about. I pr- saw it probably only for the first time uh, like two years ago, and uh, that's one where you hear about it. You hear people say it's great, and you th- and you say, "Oh, it's an adventure movie. It's really great. It's a lot of a lot of good like action and stuff." And, I, and because it's older, if you're me, because it's older, it's like, yeah, I guess. Really, how good could it be from a from a from a visceral action standpoint right then you see it and you're like this is really good it's super fun man like yeah. it's really well done i think it's one of my father's very favorite movies so mm-hmm. I, I watched it a lot as a kid um, th- those old, older movies because uh, i understand where you're coming from wh- or why you might feel that way about action movies because now the camera is so much freer right. and 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 editing has become uh so much more daring but the thing is those those old movies not just action movies but musicals as well mm-hmm depended so much more on the performers and uh, i find it just as exciting as a as the born identity in its in its own way both yeah. that and i'm t- the, these musicals with these this like unbelievable choreography and stuff from that era or i guess I, I watch those musicals like i watch action movies my my favorite thing from that era is when you read about uh, i read a great book a couple of years ago called falling by garrett soden and it's all about uh, what he calls like gravity sports, right? Like bungee jumping, skydiving, surfing, skateboarding, like all that sort of stuff. But he spends a long time in the book talking about the first generation of stunt performers in Hollywood and how it would literally just be like, hey, man, do you think you could jump from that roof down to that car? And they'd go like, no, no, I'll try. <laughs> and they would roll cameras and people would just do it, you know? Like, And there's something that's so cool to me about watching old movies like that, knowing like, eh, that guy probably broke a wrist. <laughs> you know, like, it adds it adds to the danger of it. Because now, like, you presume that there's either wire work or green screen going right, on. Yeah. Like, you know, there's not there's not that much danger. I think in some of those older movies, those action sequences, it's like, that guy probably just got punched in the face. He's probably just a good dude who was good at taking punches to the face. And, and the director figured it out and said, let's make a movie where you get punched in the face a lot, you know, like, yeah. which is kind of fun for me. Uh, but, I mean, I, I don't, you know, 
because yeah, you're right. But uh, you know, some some people today are still doing amazing. Oh, absolutely, amazing things, absolutely. It's the, uh, it's the one category that I that the Oscars doesn't have that I wish it did. I uh, I recently shot a film uh, called Hell Baby uh, in New Orleans and. Uh, there weren't a ton of stunts in it, but there's a scene where somebody gets hit by a car, and I happened to be on set the day they were shooting that, and, like, it's there's not really a trick to it it's just a dude who's good at getting hit by cars like he knows when to turn so that the car doesn't shatter his hip and like the the feeling on set when that guy got hit by the car was like the most insane like because he gets hit by the car, rolls up on the hood, then rolls down in front of the bumpers. The car scree- screeches to a stop, and everybody on set is just like, oh, my God. And the guy got up and was like, I'm fine. Like, he had scratched <laughs> his elbow a little bit, and that was it. You know, like, it's it, – so, you know, I, I need to – I'm constantly trying to remind myself that, like, there are some practical effects that are still, like, really kind of death-defying in yeah. a way that's that's still very exciting to do, me. Do you know what one leaps to mind is um – uh, and I often think about female stunt performers because there's a documentary that I cannot remember the name of, but it, uh, it features Zoe Bell, who would later go on to be in uh, Death Proof and other stuff. Mm-hmm. But she was she was Uma Thurman's stunt double on the Kill Bill movies, and so it's about female stunt people. But I always think of uh, Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead remake at the toward the beginning when Sarah Polly's husband has turned into. Uh, a zombie and she's running to get away from him she bursts through the bathroom door and the and the and the camera's above the bathroom set and she bursts through the bathroom door and trips and like flips into the bathtub uh-huh. and it's clear like there's no there's no way it's cl- uh, clearly a stunt person did that like flipped themselves through this bathroom into this ceramic tub yeah and had like the whole shower curtain fall down on them and it looks so unbelievably painful i've i've rewound that and watched it like multiple times in a row because it's it's so impressive God. to me and those are the kind of stunts that by their very nature, you're not supposed to be like, oh, that was awesome. You're supposed to be like, oh, man, yeah. that's right. Ru- yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Not thinking uh, about the stunts. Um, training day, when um, toward the end, when Denzel's trying to get away, and Ethan Hawke is like, jumped down on the car, and like mm-hmm. he's hanging onto the car, and then Denzel like hits a parked car and ethan hawk goes like into the windshield of the parked car mm-hmm. you know and that's that's the same thing it's it someone did that and it looks really the, uh, painful the closest i will ever come to being an action movie hero in in real life uh came at a, a party a couple years ago at at my college every year um my my improv troupe will go back to our old college and we'll do a show and then inevitably wind up getting drunk with a bunch of college kids afterwards. <laughs> which, I'll tell you, when, you, when you're when you 26 and you're doing that, it's great. Now that I'm 30, it's like, okay, we're on the border of like this really being creepy. Um, Sorry, what college? Uh, Vassar College, out east. Uh, and uh, when I went to college, uh, myself and Alex Fernie, who's a fellow improviser and nerd and all this stuff, um, we lived together and we would delight in shooting Roman candles at one another, bottle rockets, any kind of fire, mortars, any kind of fireworks we get our hands on. So we went back to college, and unbeknownst to me, uh, Fernie had arranged with uh, a friend of ours who was still a student there to get get their hands on some Roman candles. And so I'm at this party, and I'm pretty drunk, and uh, I had gone off to take a leak in the woods, 
And I turn back around to the party, <clears throat> and I see Fernie and this girl lighting uh, two Roman candles and just leveling them at me. And so <laughs> I just start running. And I take off, and I go run around the corner of this house. And as I run around the corner of this house, there's a station wagon, which shouldn't be... It's like basically in the backyard of this house. Uh-huh. It shouldn't be there. Uh, driving towards me. And I look, and I realize it's two guys I know who are also back up for the show that weekend. And I come running around the corner of this house and throw my beer at their windshield and jump on the front of the car and scream, go, 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 go! And the second I do that, Fernie and this girl come around the corner of the house with their Roman candles and just like sparks are flying everywhere and they're all like exploding and there's these like huge explosions (laughs) going on and these two guys hit the car in reverse and go screaming out of the yard and then do like a a 360, like they pulled the Uh e-brake and whipped around all while I'm hanging onto the hood and drove away and it was like terrifying but also the most awesome thing i will ever do in my life like i have peaked as a human being because (laughs) of that day until you appeared on battleship pretension until 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 this very moment i I think that's a good place to Uh, we haven't talked about david attenborough at all (sighs) we look see i find a i find a button i know and you and you and you uh all right let's let's talk about david Attenborough. you know what how about this no let's talk about we can always have him back Oh, that's. I will happily come back. I will happily come back just to talk about David. If if my name gets pulled from a green bowler hat, I I will. I (laughs) will drive back out here. That's no problem. I can't imagine it won't. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, yeah, definitely, we will dedicate an entire episode to David Attenborough. I like that idea. He deserves nothing less. Yes. Um, So you can find uh, us at battleshippretension.com where you can also donate to the show to uh, enter to be entered in for these prizes or uh, you know read. uh, movie reviews and, and uh, DVD and Blu-ray reviews and other such features all the time at battleshippretention.com. You can email me and Tyler, either David at battleshippretention.com or Tyler at battleshippretension.com. You can follow me on Twitter at The Pretension and follow Tyler on Twitter at More Lessons, which is the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson. That's at morethanonelesson.com. My other podcast is the weekly television wrap-up show previously on. That's at previouslyonshow.com. Alex, where can people find you on the internet, and uh, where can people find Hell Baby? Uh, Hell Baby is a great question. I don't know when that's coming out, um, but look for it in theaters. Rob Corddry's uh, the lead. Tom Grant, Tom Grant, uh, Ben Grant, and Tom Lennon uh, wrote and directed it and star in it, and uh, it, it, the whole cast is amazing. And I've I've seen the movie once already, and I'm going to go see it again next week. And it's it's a delight from stem to stern. Uh, so keep your eyes peeled for that. And then online. Uh, Look for me uh, on Twitter at ActuallyBerg, uh, and that's pretty much it. I also have a Facebook page, but <laughs> it's not mine. I've never once logged into it. It's <laughs> a complete sham. So if you want to see what I look like when my friends are making fun of me, go to Facebook.com slash Berg420, and, <laughs> and <laughs> everything will be revealed. And if you like, send a message that's stupid to that... Yeah, if you send, you'll a, get made fun of by you, but not really. Yeah, if you send a message to me on Facebook, I quote unquote will reply, but it'll be like I'm too busy farting to hear what you're saying, <laughs> you know. Like, so by all means, go for it, but uh, you know, just don't hope for anything sensical in return. Well, thank you so much for being. I think this is a lot of fun. Hey, thanks I, for having me, you guys. I'm always happy to geek out. Yeah, all I'm right. glad we open. We left it open. I, I definitely look forward to to your return. Absolutely. So. Um, Uh, Yes, again, thank you for being here. Uh, Thank you at home for listening. And we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. 